Good afternoon, folks. Notice of Christian Coffee Time, and welcome. And uh, make sure you got your Bible and your pencil and your piece of paper and all that. I guess you get tired of Matt saying that to you all the time, too, eh? But uh, anyways, you need to write things down because they go through a lot of stuff and a lot of things reference back and forth, and you look it up later. And uh, one of the ways we learn is by repetition, and that's a, a, a good thing for us to do. Uh, let's just have a, a word of prayer and we'll get going. Father, we just thank you now, Lord, for this time to look into your word. We pray, Lord, that you'll just bless this time and bless these things to us as we look at this portion, Lord. We just thank you for it. We ask that you be honored. Lord Jesus, you be honored. And, and we just thank you now. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, last week, <clears throat> we had looked at the, uh, the, the word rest. In chapter 4, it's found nine times. In chapter 3, it's found two times, I believe. And we looked at it at rest and looked at it with the idea of peace behind it and that. We were looking at a, a present practical application of the word and, and, and all that was with it and that. Um, this week, we're going to look at the interpretation here. So we're doing it kind of backwards. And you look in your Bible, depends who you talk to. I just say there's interpretation and and application, but there's other guys that say there's a demonstration and stuff like that too, so um, that's fine and dandy, that's probably right, but we're just doing with two, I get confused with more than two, so um, we're going to look at the interpretation of the word rest here today, and I, I will admit, I was going through this as one of the most difficult portions of scripture I've ever run, a, run across to uh, um, just get the gist of what's going on, there's so many things in here that just... Um, I think there's, there's a lot of depth in here and, and stuff like that, just to get it all wired up. And I was asking the Lord, saying, you know, Lord, I, I don't get this, and I don't get this, and I don't get this. And then he showed me something in one word. You know, sometimes we read our Bibles too fast, and sometimes we uh, are so familiar with it that we can go over it fairly quickly. And sometimes we just we read the words, but we don't really stop and well, what does that say there? What's he saying with that? And he showed me one little thing, and I said, oh, okay, I get it now. I see what's happening here. Um, so there's some key words here in this chapter. Now that maybe maybe you already know this, there's just something that I just found out. How many have ever read their Bible and uh, you're reading through it and you've read this portion 600 times and there's just a new thing there, eh? And yeah, everybody's like that because it's a, this is the Word of God. It's eternal. Now there's in verse one, verse three, verse five, and verse ten. Uh, <clears throat> there's the word rest. But before these ones, in verse 1, it says, His rest. In verses 3 and 5, it says, My rest. And in verse 10, it says, His rest. That's the key to understanding, was for me anyway, uh, understanding what's going on here. It's talking about the rest of God. And we think of rest, it's just like, uh, well, when we get saved, we've entered into His rest and, and all this. But it's, it's talking about God's rest. And the book of Hebrews, we know it's about the Spirit of God um, trying to reach these people back then. Not just these people. Um, he talks about those in the, in the wilderness. He talks about the, those in David's time. He talks about those back there in that first century. And he's speaking to people today about this same uh, kind of thing here. That there's a, salvation is more than just uh, saying a quick prayer or something like that, you know, there's a lot of people who are missing the mark, we'll talk about that later. He's talking about the thing here is entering into his rest. There's a rest that God has that he wants to share 
with the whole earth, with everybody. But not everybody's going to get saved. The Bible says that there's many that will be, go down the road to destruction, but only few down the narrow path. But God wants to share that, and for the believer, God has this rest that He wants to share with you. And we just stop and think about it, and He talks about it here. Um, back in creation, God created things in six literal days. And then on the seventh day, He rested. God entered into His rest. Now you picture that in your mind. Use your sanctified imagination and picture God. All His work is done and He stops and He has this rest. How do you, how do you picture? What is this rest? How does it come about? But it's something that God has, God has done, God is doing. And He's still in His rest. And He says, for the believer, you, you will be with me in this rest. You're going to share in this rest. And there's another portion here that talks about that God finished all His works. And it was finished from the foundation of the world. Now, you talk about the sovereignty of God. We're not going to get into that today. But it tells us about the sovereignty of God. It just blows your mind when you think about it. God entered into His rest. He's done with all these things. And even before that, He was finished with all that He wanted to do. All the plan of God through all the ages. It's like the big domino set. He knocks over that first domino and He sits back. And God is so powerful and God is so sovereign that He can bring things together and He's worked it all out. You believe that? A lot of people don't believe that. I do, because the Bible says so right there. We'll get to that in a minute. God has uh, just worked it all out. How else could He say in Romans chapter 8, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Because He knows how things are going to work. God knows how that thing's going to work out in your life and so on and so forth. He knows how it's going to go. So we see this rest of God, and this is what we're talking about here, what he's talking about rather, in this portion of scripture. And he's trying to convince these people that have gone, they've uh, um, tasted the good word of God, they've gone on a bit, they've been enlightened, they've been uh, illuminated, but that doesn't save you, does it? It says that they had evil hearts of unbelief. Now what was the problem? What would cause them to... To go back to say, ah, we don't want this anymore, we can't do this, or it's too hard, it's too difficult. Probably circumstances in the first century, um, likely tremendous persecutions and such upon, upon the believers at that time. And uh, parts of the world here, uh, people are experiencing those things, and they were finding that it was difficult, and they were going to say, hey, enough of this, we're going back to Judaism. They had come right up to the door of salvation, but it says they did not enter in because of unbelief. And he gives us the example in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is filled with pictures and types. For instance, the Ark of Noah is a picture of salvation, isn't it? Of Jesus Christ entering in through the door. And he gives us the picture of the provocation in the wilderness in Numbers uh, 13 and 14, I believe it is. And he shows that they came up to the promised land and they and the spies went in, they got the fruit of the land and brought it back after a time, and the people had tasted it, and they'd seen, oh, this is wonderful, and yet there were some circumstances there with the giants in the land. They don't want any part of this. Let's go back 
to Egypt, get somebody to lead us back to Egypt. That's a, 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 the definition of an apostate. They see and they, they understand clearly. But they say, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to. Because either circumstance or just sheer neglect or whatever. A lot of people today do neglect the things of God and think that, that salvation comes by just a, a easy one, two, three, repeat after me prayer. You go reading through this stuff and it ought to make your knees knock and you'd be shaken before God. And people say, oh, well, I did that way back there. I did that. You ever have somebody say that to you? I did that. I mean, I said a prayer back there. And then your salvation is based on that. And nothing happened in their lives, I guess. That, this, this is, that's terrible. We're going to look at this rest uh, of God here. And look at these particular uh, uh, things. Um, I want to just take your Bibles just for a moment. Keep your finger right here. And go back to Ephesians chapter 1 just for a minute. Ephesians chapter 1. And these verses we're going to look at, you probably know them off by heart. You probably don't even have to turn your Bible back there, but we'll do it anyways. Um, in regards to, with regards to the rest of God. And when he talks about the rest, it's this thing that God is in, that God is enjoying a rest right now, and he's going to bring us into it. I think the thing he talks about is it's that when we die, when we, when we finished our works here, we're going to be with him. But I just want to bring this to you. Now, you can say, well, I don't agree with that. Well, that's fine and dandy. Um, uh, you can tell us afterwards what it is then, but you just watch this. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Well, go to verse 12. That we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So there's salvation by belief, and soon you, you believe that the Spirit of God comes and seals you. Verse 14, look at it. Which is the earnest of our inheritance. What is? The Holy Spirit is the earnest of your inheritance. Okay, What does the word earnest mean? It's kind of like a down payment, isn't it? That's a fair thing to say. That's the idea here. The earnest of what? Of our inheritance. What is our inheritance? You ever wonder what your inheritance is in heaven? Yeah, it's going to be in God's presence. What is God doing right now? He's in His rest. And our inheritance is the rest of God. He wants to share that with us. All what He experiences in that rest, and whatever it all makes that up, your inheritance. And he gives himself as a down payment of this. You're going to make it there. You're going to be there. And there's nothing that can stop that. Because when you believe in Jesus Christ, when you trust in him, you will be there. You will be there no matter what anybody else says, no matter what you do when you trust in Christ, honestly and sincerely from your heart, you will be there. Because he has forgiven you and you're one of his children. And God wants to share his rest with you. He's going to gather us together. Now, I don't know how else to explain it. I don't know anything about it other than that. It's something I want to think about, I want to study about, and find out about this rest of God. I've never heard anybody talk about it. Maybe I've been living in a cave or something too long. I don't know. I've never heard anybody talk about this. But there it is right there. My rest. My, not your rest. It's not your rest that we're talking about. He says, it's mine, and I'm going to share it with you. Our inheritance 
way back there in Ephesians, our inheritance is the rest with God. God and His rest, which He shares with us. He wants to share it with those, and will share it with those who enter by belief in Jesus Christ. Is it a present thing? Uh, well, it indicates later on that it's a, um, a future thing when we get there. I'm just trying to figure out my notes here. Right now, we're just pilgrims going through here, aren't we? What's that? Oh, yeah, okay. I got so many little notes here. I don't know where to go next sometimes. I'll just read this one to you. The rest which God promises to his people is a share in that rest which he himself enjoys. To be with God. So let's have a look down through here at some of the things. We're just going to take some of the high points here. There are some difficult things here, but uh, keep that in mind. I think that opens it up for us to see what is he talking about, this rest, this rest. And he mentions it, I think it's 11 times. Verse 4, For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest on the seventh day from all his works. Past. And this, in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. See, God's in his rest. And if anybody wants to enter into that thing, well, you must enter in by faith. Eh? That's what this is all about right here. Verse 6, seeing therefore remains that some must enter therein, that some will. And it's not uh, closed off to all people. It's open to all that believe. And they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. That the first preach is referring to the provocation in the wilderness, Numbers chapter 13 and 14. They came up to the promised land. They were told, go in, go in, go in. And they were shown the fruits of it. And they said, you know what? This is too tough. We're going back. Forget this. And he says, they entered not in because of unbelief. So God swore in his wrath, all right, fine, you're done. You don't get another chance. That's apostasy, okay? Again, he limits a certain day, or designates a day, saying in David, today after so long a time it is said, today if you'll hear his voice, harden not your hearts. Now isn't that interesting that we have here, this is a reference to Psalm 95, verse 11. And it's interesting that when you go back in your Bible and look at Psalm 95, at least my Bible, I don't know, mine doesn't say it, oft times you'll read like, who wrote the psalm, eh? This is one of those ones where it doesn't say. But here it tells us that David did. Oh, that word of God, eh? Just fits together, doesn't it? Isn't it amazing? But the other thing is amazing that, that the Lord is, he references way back to the provocation in the wilderness, which was, well, 2300 B.C., and then he's referencing David here, which is roughly 1,000 B.C. And then he sends this message to the Hebrews, which was about 2,000 years ago. And then it's applicable, applicable, applicable to us here today because it's the Word of God. He ends it up there in verse 12 saying the Word of God is quick and powerful. And the whole thing's about the Word of God. The message is the same from, for them as it was in David's time, as it was what we call Bible times, as it is for today. Salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. Salvation by faith. Unbelief shuts the door, okay? 
for verse 8, for if Jesus had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. Now that word Jesus right there is an interesting word in that that's the Greek uh, term or, or, or rendition of, of the name. If you were to go into the Hebrew rendition of the name, you'd have Joshua. Because Joshua is Hebrew and Jesus is the Greek, as far as I understand it. That. And when talking about the Bible and the wonders of it, and the Old Testament being filled with pictures and types and showing us uh, the spiritual truths of the New Testament are, are shown and lived out in the people's lives and things like that back there. You take uh, Moses and Joshua and consider them for a minute. Moses brings them along through the, the wilderness and brings them up to the um, border. What happens to Moses? He dies. Why did he die? Because God said, you're not going to take him in there. You can't do it. It's impossible for you to do that, Moses. The picture for us is that Moses represents the Ten Commandments. The law. The law cannot take you into the promised land. The law cannot take you into God's rest. Those people who think, I keep the Ten Commandments. No, you don't. You don't understand what it's for. It's to show people their sins, for one thing. But who took them in? Joshua. But you go back into Numbers and you'll see how his name was changed a wee bit. He was not called Joshua, he was called Jehoshua. They took Joshua, the man, and Jehovah, the name, and combined them to make Jehoshua. So you have the God-man, the picture of taking the people in. Jesus Christ, the God-man. God Almighty in a human body. Perfect human body without sin. To go to the cross to pay for our sins and the cross of Calvary, to be buried and rise from the dead on the third day. And any that would believe in Him, trust in Him with all your heart, you'll be saved. You will enter into God's rest. You will become one of His. Your sins will be forgiven. The Bible's fascinating. For if Jesus had given them rest, then would He not afterward have spoken of another day? There's always a time, always a time, always a time. The door is open. There remains, therefore, a rest to the people of God. That word two right there means literally means four. Doesn't mean it's something kind of offered. It's it's there. It's for you. Rest to the to the people of God. For the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. I personally think that's at the point of death and we go into the presence of God into his rest. And some would say, well, no, that sounds like it's right now. They've already entered in. We're not going to argue about it and split the church. Last week they wanted to split the church and have the three-nun church and the four-nun church. Or whatever it was. Well, Mary it was. That was Mary. Though. And this week we're going to split it up. Okay, we'll have this church over here, the, the now rest, and then the, the ones get it when they're dead. Never mind that. We're not going to split the church up. Uh, just let it go. And we get down to verse 11, and it's one of the... Um, and it is a difficult portion when you just look at it at the outset like that. He says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man should fall after the same example of unbelief. First of all, keep in mind who he's talking to. He's addressing not believers... He's trying to convince these ones that had hearts of unbelief that they should come ahead. Come on and don't go back. Keep going. Let us labor, therefore. Now we see that word labor. 
When you hear the word labor, what do you think of? What's the, what's the definition of the word? Somebody tell me. To work. To work. Okay. That's not what that word means right there. What we have to do and, and what uh, is important for us is to find out what was the word and the meaning that the Spirit of God was trying to convey back then when this was written. Okay. So we'll have to go back into the language it was written of or written by. Written, written with. And we, we find out that that word right there doesn't mean labor as we understand it today. This particular word means to be diligent. And there's the problem with today's evangelism and much of Christianity today, people are not diligent. They'll say a prayer or something and then they'll just leave it at that and they're not diligent and just go on their way. There's a big problem today. People are not laboring. People are not being diligent to enter into uh, this rest that God has uh, given. <clears throat> it's not easy believism. The definition of the word, it means earnestness, zeal. It means to exert oneself with a haste to do, with haste to do a thing. Carefulness. And today there's a lot of carelessness about the things of God, and people are not considering this thing as these ones were, and he's telling them off, in a sense, you're not being diligent, you're not being zealous about this thing, you're just being flippant, and people treat the Word of God and salvation, treat Jesus Christ and the whole rest of it with a kind of a flippant, uh, a careless attitude, doesn't mean that much, and you know what you're going to find out, and people are going to die... Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, the Lord Jesus, on Judgment Day, Jesus says on Judgment Day, many shall say to me in that day, Lord, we've done this, we've done this, we've done this. Jesus said, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. How could people that were doing all those kinds of things not be saved? Now, we're saved by belief. We know that. Remember who he's talking to here. Some people take it really uh, uh, lightly, I guess. We want to look at something here and something else in the Bible and just bring this out just to help us maybe understand this particular thing. We're going to look at this, let us uh, labor, therefore, and just look at it from another angle. Uh, from time to time, people ask and say, or comment on, I don't know if I'm saved or this and that and the other thing. We had uh, somebody just a couple weeks ago said that. I remember one time, I probably told you before, that one lady was in the hospital down country and um, she was dying of cancer and I went in to visit her in the hospital and she said, I'm not sure I'm saved. And she'd been in church all the time and I, I'm not sure I'm saved. And I said, well, I'm not going to tell you that you are saved. I won't tell anybody that. I'm not going to confirm. Because I can't see your heart. I can't see your heart. You can't see mine. I says, but the Bible says this, and I want to just share with you, and we've done it before, but let's do it again anyway. Um, go over to um, uh, Hebrews, you're in Hebrews, turn over to chapter 6 for a moment. I want you to note this thing here. And we were talking about people uh, treating salvation lightly, uh, 
people ask, well, how do I know I'm saved? And all these things, let us, um, let us labor and all that, all that stuff. We don't it. And we go into chapter 6 and we drop down to verse 9. Look what it says. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. Now, in verse 10, for God is not uh, unrighteous to forget your work and, first thing, labor of love, which you've showed towards his name. That sounds like faith. Second thing, and that you've ministered to the saints and do minister. There's a love for the saints right there. And thirdly, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Sounds like the hope of heaven. I want you to know those three things. And then before we turn to another portion, go back up to verse 9 and remember that where he says, things that accompany salvation. That word accompany, well you know what that means. It means to be connected with. And this will show some of these uh, 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 the apostates and the easy believism people and so on and so forth. If they don't have these things accompanying salvation, there's a problem. But I want you to go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and it says it a little bit differently, but it says those three things again. We'll just go back there for a minute. And isn't it interesting the Lord lays these things out through the Bible, through the New Testament in various places for us to have a look at. And uh, uh, chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, and let's go to verse 2. He says, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your, here we go, your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. There's those three things again. And what did Hebrews say in chapter 6, verse 9? These are things that accompany salvation. Now one more, uh, turn in your Bible, back just a couple pages to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And we'll go to verse 3. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have to all the saints. And for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, there's the same thing said again. And what did Hebrews chapter 6 verse 9 say that these three things are? The things that accompany salvation. So now if we go back to uh, uh, Hebrews and have a look at that. And it's where we started, of course. Um, wait, I'm on the wrong page. Sometimes people wonder about it. They wonder if they're saved or whatever. The Bible tells you very carefully and clearly. First of all, there's belief. That's faith in Christ. It's not faith in yourself. It's not faith in you going to church or getting baptized. It's Jesus Christ. Okay. And then there's something else takes place in your life. Do you remember when you got saved? How you wanted to be where? You wanted to go to church and be with God's people. I remember before we were saved, our friend Lorraine used to take Robin and I. I don't know how she ever did it, but she convinced us to go to some of their church things, like a Christmas banquet or something. 
And you know something? Being unsaved, it was uncomfortable. We just these people are different. They think different. They talk. It's just uncomfortable. Why? Well, you're not saved. That's what it is. But as soon as you get saved, what do you want to do? You want to go be with God's people. How come? Because the Spirit of God is in there, and the Spirit of God loves His people and wants you to be with Him. That's just going to overflow. That's going to be part of you. Okay? You're going to have that faith in Christ. You're going to have the love for the brethren. And you're going to have a hope of heaven. The hope of heaven. It's not, oh, I, I hope I make it. No, it's, the Bible talks about it is this hope that you have, it's going to happen. Very interesting. You see, sometimes if you look at this uh, new evangelism and such that people have, uh, nothing changes in their lives. Somebody says, well, how do I know if I'm, I'm saved? And say, that, did the gospel make a difference in your life? Yes or no? If it didn't, you better get yourself on your face before God in repentance. You better talk to Him about it. Because there's something really wrong. If you don't have faith in Christ, love for the brethren and hope of heaven. Hey, the love for the brethren, that means there shouldn't be any arguments amongst God's people. Hey? I'm just saying. I didn't write it. That's what it says. Anyway, our time's just about cooked. Get to finish the chapter or anything. But let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. He's talking to them, they weren't saved yet. And I'm not talking about works, and he's not talking about works. It's being diligent. It's being diligent. Why does God say, examine yourselves to see whether you be in the faith? Because maybe some aren't. And he's concerned. I want to conclude with this. We talk about the rest of God. I think it's going to be amazing. I think it's going to be something that... I can't put words to it, can you? This rest, this thing that God is enjoying. God enjoys that. Yeah. And He wants us to be there. But to the world... You think about when people die. They say, may He rest in peace. Well, only if He's a born-again Christian. They say... Um, they're at rest now. Not really. The body might be, but the spirit, if you're unsaved, you'll go to hell. Only if they believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as their Savior, in repentance of their sins and belief in Him. You note how that even in death, the world proclaims its own righteousness and refusal of God. By saying that, oh, he's at rest now. That's just, I know it's just pure ignorance of the facts. Okay? Some people talk about, you heard them say, well, we want to die with dignity. Did you know that death is the ultimate and final insult to mankind? It goes back to the curse of the Garden of Eden. Nobody dies with dignity. It's a, it's a slap in the face. It's a curse upon us. It's the final ins ins insult. It's the wages of sin. It's payday. Payday for the sinner. And there's nothing of dignity in it. It's the curse. But for the true believer, 
for those that truly believe in Jesus Christ with all their heart they enter into God's rest what an amazing thing I don't know what more to say about it there's something more here I'm going to study it out more I hope you will too and it's an amazing thing I never heard anybody talk about this before I haven't heard everybody I haven't heard much but I think it's something we should think about and if you're here today, you're listening today, you're not saved. Get yourself before God. Trust in Jesus Christ. Accept Him as your Savior. Labor. Be diligent to enter into that rest. Anyway, we have to stop. Let's pray. Father, we just thank You now, Lord, and thank You for Your grace, and thank You for this day and this time. And help us, Lord. Uh, we pray that You just take these things that we've talked about, Lord, and we use these things to help and encourage and strengthen and challenge or just whatever. Forgive me, Lord, if I made an error anywhere in this, Lord. We just pray that the truth would set people free. Lord, thank you for your grace, and thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. You can hit that button. Bye, folks. Thanks for coming out and listening and all that. Take care.